my first physician, that is my first doctor in life, was Dr. Beasley. Some of you that are familiar with the old Donaldson Children's Clinic, uh, you know who Dr. Beasley is. Some of you might have had Dr. Gray, Dr. Doak, some of those other doctors uh, way back there in the 70s and 80s, last half of the 70s. Uh, Dr. Beasley, I think, was there in the 1880s. Uh, but he was still there in the 1970s and early 1980s when I was there. And uh, I, I was in awe of Dr. Beasley. He was one of those people in my lives that as a child just was bigger than life. He wielded a huge presence in my life. Now, some of you know this, some of you don't. I was a very, very sick child, very sickly child. I had severe allergies, and they caused me daily problems and daily suffering uh, for the first at least decade of my life. It was, it was until I was in third grade and, and went to an allergy specialist, Dr. Sanders, uh, in Nashville, another one of those big figures in my life, a physician uh, that I respected a lot who began to treat me in ways that helped me to get healthier over the years. And now, thankfully, as a grown man, I have very few health problems. I have far fewer than I deserve, and, and I'm very grateful for that. But, you know, you can look back. Maybe anyone in the auditorium this morning, maybe you have a doctor right now that you really, really respect, uh, that, that, that has the knowledge, that takes care of you or has taken care of a loved one. Or maybe you have one from childhood uh, that, that, you know, that has taken good care of you as a child and been a blessing to your family. But as I think about the concept of a physician, there are three words that come to my mind that is going to govern what we think about for the rest of this lesson. Number one is that a good physician knows. You know, doctors have to go to school for a long time. And they have to go to school for a long time because there's a lot that they've got to know. There's a lot that they've got to know. And a good doctor isn't finished with uh, his or her education when they get that MD. They're going to continue to read medical journals. They're going to continue to go to seminars. They're going to continue their education as time passes by because medical science is going to advance. And if they're going to be able to give the best treatment that they possibly can to their patients, then they're going to have to stay caught up with the latest developments abreast of all of the medical science available to them in that day. So a doctor's got to be a smart person. Got, they got to know their stuff. Secondly, a doctor has to be prepared to take risks. Anybody who becomes, a, this is not just doctors, by the way. We have all kinds of medical professionals, members of this, congregations that work in this congregation that work at various different levels. If you go into the medical profession, guess who you're going to be around? Sick people. You're going to have to take the risk. In order to heal the sick, you're going to risk getting sick yourself, right? If you go into emergency room, what are you going to have to deal with? Blood, people's blood. Dangerous situations sometimes. You're going to have to be willing to take a risk in order to heal, in order to be able to, to do your work of blessing that person's life by, by using your knowledge and your skill to heal them. You've got to take a risk that you're going to come in contact with something dangerous, a disease, or something else like that. Third, cares. Why does a good physician go through all of those years of schooling why does a good physician risk getting what you've got in order to get you better because they care they want to help people and make people's lives better you know there's some young people today that you know they say what do you want to do you ask them what do you want to do when you grow up and they say I want to be a doctor I always ask why why do you want to be a doctor I'll tell you what I don't want to hear come out of their mouths next 
because doctors make a lot of money. You're not going to be my doctor. All right? If that's your motivation, I, I'm sorry. You go do something else, man. Why should I'm glad that doctors make good money. Doctors ought to make good money. But nobody should go into the medical field because they want to make a lot of money. They should go into the medical field because they care about people and about their quality of life and about their health. And that should be why they go through all of those years of schooling. That's why they take those risks. And yes, we should pay them for that. But the good physician is somebody that cares. That cares. And so, as we think about this concept, I want us to consider Jesus as the great physician. He's been called that by so many before me. Throughout Christendom, we often call Jesus the Great Commission. Look at what the, uh, the Great Physician, look at what the Bible says in Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 15. And as he, that's Jesus, reclined at table in his, that's Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, in order to put this in perspective, in the, the world of first century Judaism, that phrase, tax collectors and sinners, was like drug addicts and prostitutes. You know, why, why is he eating with convicts and drug addicts and prostitutes, atheists, so on? You fill in the blank. Why is he eating with those people? If he's the Messiah, isn't he supposed to be holy? Shouldn't he separate himself from all those wicked, sinful people? That's... That's what's going on in their minds. Jesus heard it. He said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. You see that? That's why we call Jesus the great physician. And while Jesus was on this earth, he wielded supernatural power that could heal any disease, cast out demons and deliver men and women and children from every kind of physical affliction. But we know from the whole of the Bible story that was not his primary mission. Yes, at the end of time, when he comes again and raises the dead, he'll give us all new, glorious, incorruptible bodies. He'll heal us of all physical ailments forever. We will have bodies that will not any longer be subject to disease and ailment and injury and death. Yes, that's, that's the point. But Jesus' ministry was about what's in between. It was about what gets a person from being a sick, sinful person to being the person who is prepared to rise from the dead into glory. And the way to do that is to be healed spiritually. It's to be cleansed from sin. It's to have my thought process enlightened so that I begin to think the way that the Lord thinks, holy, pure, just, godly. It's spiritual healing that Jesus offers us through the gospel. And that leads ultimately in the age to come to every kind of healing that we could hope for. And so we have Jesus as the great physician. Brothers and sisters, he knows. He is the one who knows. He is your one true teacher of all that is right. Anything that is in your mind that is not consistent with the revealed will of Jesus Christ is wrong. Get rid of it. And Jesus has taken, he took the ultimate risk. He left heaven and lived a mortal life. And he suffered mortality. Dying on the cross to save us, to save our lives, to save our souls, because he cares. So, 
That's what Jesus calls us to do as we become his disciples and walk in his footsteps. We are to become spiritual medical students, if you will, following in the footsteps of our great Dr. Jesus, striving to learn from him how to heal our friends, family, neighbors, even our enemies of the disease of sin that is destroying their hearts and minds and in many cases, even their bodies. I want you to notice uh, as we put together the case from Scripture uh, so that we can see for sure that this is the Word of God. This is not just something I've dreamed up. This is what the Bible teaches us to do. We're called to follow Jesus, to imitate Jesus, to copy Jesus. That's what it means to be a disciple. By the way, that's our ongoing study at 7 on Wednesday nights in the auditorium here. Come join us. All right. Jesus calls us to follow in his steps. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, by the Holy Spirit, Paul wrote, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. We are God's children. We're called to walk in our Father's footsteps to imitate Him. Okay, how do we do that? We've got to look to the example of Jesus. John 5, verse 19, Jesus said, The Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. If I want to be able to obey, Ephesians 5, verse 1, live as a beloved child, imitating God my Father, i got to look to the only one who's ever done it right, Jesus, the unique Son of God, who did everything that he saw his Father doing. Walked exactly as his Father would have him to walk. God being a man. That's Jesus. You want to know how to be a man? Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. Imitate him. Copy him. In uh, Matthew 10, beginning in verse 24, Jesus speaks about the idea of discipleship with these words. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. Think about this, okay? Enough. Enough. What does that word mean to you? What is enough for you? Is it about houses, cars, income, trips, travel, retirement packages? What's enough? I'll tell you what, brothers and sisters, tucked away in little passages like this that in our devotional readings we often just skim through are some of the meatiest, most powerful principles of the faith. And, and if, we, if we let ourselves be pulled into the world of Jesus' mind in passages like this and let these passages have their way with us, let them wrench their way into our hearts and into our minds and souls and start taking us apart and showing us what we really are and thus laying that alongside the standards of Jesus to reveal to us what we're called to be to the disciple. Are you a disciple? Are you a follower of Jesus? Then it is enough to be like him. That's all that matters. And we've got to, we've got to get that into our minds, brothers and sisters. That's what matters. It doesn't matter what you drive or where you live or what you eat or whether you have the ability to travel. It doesn't matter if you will work until the day that you drop dead or whether you have retirement. All of that, none of that matters. To the disciple, it's enough to be like his teacher. Luke 6, verse 40. A disciple is not above his teacher. Notice what he says. But everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. My friends... What Jesus wants is for you to be just like him. 
What God your Father wants is for you to be just like Him. When He sent Jesus to earth, He sent Him, yes, to die for us so that we could all be saved in spite of the fact that we are not just like Him. That's true, brothers and sisters. That's the gospel of grace. But the ultimate point is being saved from our sins. We enter into the life of discipleship and we become more and more and more like Him. And so what we have to do as Christians is we have to assess ourselves prayerfully on a daily basis. We have to ask ourselves, in what ways am I not walking in the very footsteps of Jesus Christ, my Lord? And whatever I answer to that question, that's today's task for me to work on. Tomorrow's, next week's, until I am just like Jesus in that way. Make sense? That's simple, but that is what this is all about. We're not done yet. Philippians 4, verse 9. What you have learned, Paul writes now, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. You know, Paul, the apostle, is one of the greatest examples of discipleship that we've ever been given. Paul was a disciple of Jesus. Was he perfect? Read Romans 7. No, you know he wasn't perfect. You can identify with Paul. Read Romans 7. If you're not familiar with Romans 7, read Romans 7. You can identify with Paul. But Paul was a genuine disciple of Jesus. And a, and a disciple, the, the concept of discipleship, brothers and sisters, we've got to understand, is the master, the teacher, sets the standard, delivers the teaching, points the way. Then the disciple looks to him, follows in his footsteps, watches everything that the master teacher does, and, and then begins to practice that. I'm walking in his steps, step after step after step. And in the process of the disciple maturing and becoming more like the master that he or she is looking to, the disciple then begins to look to others and say, come with me, come with me, walk with me, watch what I do because I'm doing what he does. Listen to what I say because I'm saying what he says. That's the plan for the growth of the church, brothers and sisters, and it's something that no disciple of Jesus is exempt from. None of us. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. That's the process of discipleship. I'll say that to you. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. If you see something in my life that is not consistent with Christ, don't imitate that. But I am striving with everything that's in me to imitate Jesus Christ. Watch what I do that is consistent with that, and you do that as well. Our elders ought to be able to say the same thing. Any person in the auditorium today that is a mature believer ought to be not only able to say the same thing, but ought to be saying the same thing. That's what we've been given in Scripture. It's the way this works. So, brothers and sisters, Hebrews 3, verse 6. Let's, build, let's continue to build the case. It's going to lead to the point of this lesson. As Christians, as the church, we are the great physician's house of healing. Hebrews 3, verse 6. Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. We're his house. Some translations, the ISV in particular, uses the word household. That's what that means. We're his family. We're his family. Our big brother is a doctor because his father is a doctor, a healer of people's souls, a healer of people's lives. And that's the family tradition. He expects all of his children to grow up and be spiritual doctors, physicians, healers of people's souls. 1 John chapter 4, verse 17, By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, 
as Christ is, see what John says? So also are we in this world. Is that just divine proclamation or is it reality in your life? That's your choice to make. It's divine proclamation because we're called to make it a reality in our lives. And so we've got to come to the realization this morning, church, that uh, there is no third option. There is no third option. Jesus' followers are called into the ministry of spiritual healing. We are called to be a house of healers. And that means just like every good doctor, just like our Lord, we've got to know, we've got to care, and we've got to risk. Let me explain to you what that means. As we think about evangelism, spreading the gospel, as we think about discipleship, soul winning, however you want to call it, becoming fishers of men, following in the footsteps of the great physician, being spiritual healers. Worded however you want, the principle is the same. We have to know the will of our Lord. And, and so this, this morning, I look across this auditorium, and I know that uh, among all the faces here, there are varying degrees of understanding of God's word, and that's okay. This lesson is not about saying, because you're not yet where Paul was, that you're not acceptable to God. That's not the point. The point of this sermon is for every one of us to take a real clear look at where we individually are now. The point is not, is not where we're not. The point is where we are. And from that vantage point, to then come to a biblically-led conclusion of where I need to get. Right? As long as you know where you are and where you need to get and are in the process of making that transition, it's all right, you're in grace. Does that make sense? You're saved by grace. But if any point in time you say, oh man, being like Jesus, trying to reach people with the gospel, trying to save people's souls, trying to help people with all the myriad of problems that are going on in their lives because of sin, that'll never be me. That's not okay. That does not in any way fit into the will. Read the New Testament, my friend. Read Matthew through Revelation, the whole thing. And if there's that loophole there, if you can find that, show it to me. I know the book. It's not there. The option of rejecting that is not there. At becoming a disciple of Jesus, there's no such thing as a pew warmer, someone whose whole experience of Christianity is just to show up at, on Sunday and sit in a pew for a while. That is a rejection of discipleship. Right? Now, it's okay if that's what you've done to this point, and now you're realizing, oh, that's not okay. I really thought I was giving God something here. Well, you know... <laughs> Yeah, you've been giving him an hour a week or so. Uh, he's given you everything. <laughs> the scales are, you know, not exactly well balanced. But I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to pick on anybody. It's all right. You're here. I'm glad you're here. But why are you here? There's a purpose for why we're here. This is school. This is training ground. This is where we come to be fed, to be educated, to built up to be built up so that we can go, as the Great Commission says. Brother Trey read from Mark uh, 16, 15, and 16. Go! Preach the gospel to every creature, to the whole creation. Matthew's account, chapter 28, verse 19. Go! Make disciples of all the nations. The Great Commission is addressed to every believer. You know, Mark's account, as Trey correctly said, was addressed to the apostles. So was Matthew's account. But I like the way Matthew expands his account of the Great Commission because before verse 20 is over... Jesus says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And so whatever Jesus told the apostles to do, by virtue of their ministry, which has become our completed Bible, we're called to do too. So there, there's no third option. 
There is no care, risk. Every one of us are called to be disciples who make disciples, spiritual healers that heal other people. So you say today, I don't know my Bible. All right, good. Now you know where you are, where you need to get. Well, you need to know your Bible. How are you going to do that? How are you going to do that? You're going to have to crack it open to start with. And you're going to have to start reading. Step one. You're going to have to say, as you do, I don't understand this book. Because when you just crack open the Bible for the first time, or the first time seriously, and you've never really studied it before, you're not going to understand most of it. That's, that's true. That's okay. You're going to pray. You're going to say, Lord, help me understand. And you're going to keep studying. And then you're going to find somebody in the congregation here that you think of as a good Bible student that has good Bible knowledge, and you're going to come alongside them, you're going to lock your arm with theirs, and you're going to say, can I follow you? That's discipleship. Isn't that what we just read in the scriptures that the Bible outlines for us as the way to do this? Go read 2 Timothy 2, verse 2 and forward. Wish we had time to look at that whole chapter. You'll see that's the idea. Now here's the second question. Do you care? Do you care? Souls that are precious. Souls that are dying. While we rejoice, our sins are forgiven. Did he not also die for these lost ones? Then let us point the way unto him. Right? Do you care about your friend that doesn't know the Lord? You care about your coworker that, that doesn't know Jesus. You care about your family member. You care about that enemy. Yeah, they're jerks in the world around us that we don't like. There are some people in our lives that think we're jerks, right? No, nobody would possibly think I'm a jerk, but just trying to illustrate, you know. <laughs> but didn't Jesus die for them too? Do you care? Do you care? See, how you spend your time this week will reveal whether you do or not. You can talk, talk a good game. It's what you do that shows what you really value and what you care about. Brothers and sisters, hey, you've never led a soul to Christ. Okay, that's a bunch of us in the auditorium this morning. It's all right. Are you a baptized believer in Jesus? You're saved by grace. You've been given the blessing this morning of seeing where you are. Where do you need to get? I need to get somebody saved. That's what I, I need to get to the point to where I can lead somebody to Christ. What are you going to have to do? You're going to have to take a risk. You're going to have to take a risk. You're going to have to start sometime before you're confident because no soul winner ever won his or her first soul confident they were going to do that. Let me tell you, the first time I ever baptized somebody in Christ after a Bible study, I went in that Bible study absolutely unprepared. I thought I, I'd prepared as much as I could. I didn't know what I was doing. I was praying the whole time. My partner, every time I was speaking, he was praying. Every time he was speaking, I was praying. <laughs> we didn't know what we were doing. And a man was baptized into Christ. His wife, an unfaithful Christian, was restored. God be the glory. I didn't know what I was doing. The one thing I did, I'm asking you to imitate, is I took a risk. I risked failure. And if you're ever going to succeed at anything in life, you're going to have to take that first step of risking 
failure. If you're going to be like a good physician, like the great physician, you've got to risk getting into people's mess and disease, and maybe you won't be prepared to deal with it, but you've got to start, man. You've got to take the risk if you're going to reach somebody for Christ. You say this morning, I've been scared to death all of my spiritual life of reaching out with the gospel to try to save people, so I've never said anything. Okay, are you a baptized believer this morning? You're saved by grace. You've been given the gift today of knowing where you are. The question is, where do you need to get? How are you going to get there? That's the discipleship question. I'll help. Our elders will help. There's quite a number of mature disciples here who have won disciples to Christ who will gladly put their arm out for you. And you can take that arm and say, I'm going to watch you. That's the way it works, brothers and sisters. You know, you have two choices. You can embrace the mission of being a spiritual healer or you can refuse it. I hope and I plead with you this morning by the authority of Jesus Christ to put your check mark in the right box. It starts with intentionality. It starts with deciding. I recognize in Scripture what God is calling me to do. I recognize that. I know I'm not where I need to be today. I, I recognize where I am, and I, I can see there in the distance the perfection of Jesus. That's what I'm painting my target around. I know where I need to get. Lord God, please help me today to start moving in that direction. That's the prayer that many of us need to be praying in the auditorium today. I want you to look at the book of Revelation chapter 22. We're going to take a, a final explanation of this, illustration of this from this passage and one other, and then the lesson will be yours. Please listen. Now, what you've got to understand is much of what you've been told about the book of Revelation is not exactly true. The book of Revelation was written to the church of the late first century to be fulfilled entirely within three to four centuries max. And I could prove that to you after services if you want to go, if you want to ask a question about it, I'm glad to, but I don't have time right now. All right? That doesn't mean it doesn't have anything to say about heaven. It does. But the heavenly symbolic language it uses is intended to be, intended to be applied to the church now and so this is a symbolic message about the church that we read here in revelation 22 verses 1 and 2 listen then the angel showed me the river of the water of life we sing about a fountain free sometimes there's a fountain free just for you and me let us haste oh haste to its brink didn't jesus tell that lady by the well in Sychar, Samaria, in John chapter 4, that the Holy Spirit would become within a, a well of water springing up to eternal life. Baptism is that step in which someone puts on Christ in faith, and it takes place in water for a reason, all kinds of symbolic uh, stuff in that. And so the river of life is the message of salvation that continually flows through the victorious church. Bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Where does this grace that we dispense as God's church come from? It comes from the throne of God and from the Lamb. That's where the grace comes from. Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit. Everybody in here got the same gifts? No? Not all of you can speak, you know, publicly, the way some folks in here can speak publicly um, some of you are absolutely just amazing one-on-one -on -one, the way that you interact with people one-on-one -on -one. There, there's some people in this room that have the ability to go into a hospital or a nursing home and just start lighting people's faces up and there are some people in this room that the second they go in 
they suck inside themselves and they are absolutely terrified. Some of us are great at working with our hands to serve others. Some of it, we got all kinds of different gifts. Brothers and sisters, it's not that some of these gifts are for soul winning and some of them are not. It's that they're all for soul winning. But we're going to each use them in our individual ways to win souls in some way or another. If you're going to go build somebody a fence, you're going to let them know you're doing this because of Jesus Christ and you want them to become a Christian, right? Well, I'm not a good speaker. That's okay. Write it down. I am building this fence for you because I love you in Jesus' name. Would you come to church on Sunday? <laughs> See, it's not that hard. It's about knowing where you are and where you need to get. It's as simple as that. All right, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month, the leaves of the tree for the healing of the nations. This is a house of healing. If you still think I'm misusing Revelation 22, Notice the word, the phrase, the city there, I underlined. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22. Write it down. Take a picture of the screen. Go read, as Christians, what we have already come to. We, in fact, are the city of God. Didn't Jesus say in Matthew 5, You are the salt of the earth, the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. That's who we are. We're God's house of healing. And so, brothers and sisters, all of us together as a church today have got to decide. That's, that's where we show whether we care or not. Will you become involved in the one and only ministry of the kingdom, and that is to heal people spiritually? Do you care that they're sin-sick and headed for hell? Do you care? If you do, you've got to make the decision today. I'm going to help do something about it. You may be so far from winning a soul today in your knowledge or your skill, you may be scared to death, but it starts with a decision. I know where I need to get, and I'm going to get there, so help me, God. And that leads you to that step of learning. I don't know how to do it today, brother, but I'm going to start learning. And I'm going to keep learning and growing. I'm going to keep reading and studying and praying. I'm going to keep asking every Christian in this building how they do it, what they would suggest, until I feel confident that I know what I'm doing. But I'm never going to fully know what I'm doing. <laughs> And so, at some point in time, I decide today, I'm going to take that risk. And I'm going to start. I'm going to say something to somebody. And I'm going to start. And I'm going to put it in God's hands. And maybe I'll lead them to Christ, and maybe I'll lead both of us into a mess. But I'm going to start. I'm going to start. And let the Lord sweep me up in that great river that flows from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Brothers and sisters, we're called to be a house of healers. Every one of us is in spiritual medical school. Accept the call of the Lord. Become a disciple, grow as a disciple, learn to make disciples, make disciples. There are some in the auditorium this morning undoubtedly who need to take step one today. You need to become a disciple of Jesus. You need to just do what he said. Matthew 28. Verses 18 through 20, simplest passage about discipleship in the Bible. All authority, Jesus says, on heaven and on earth is given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. How, Lord? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Today, 
Are you a person who's aware that you've fallen from the glory of God because of the sins in your life? You see in Jesus the perfection, the perfect example that you're called to imitate? Do you want to start today? Let's do what he said. Come forward. Based upon your belief, we'll bury you in water. We'll baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Your sins will be washed away. Acts 22, verse 16. You'll be added to the Lord's church. You'll be a disciple. You'll start that journey to becoming a disciple maker. This morning, are you a disciple of Jesus? That for whatever reason needs the prayers of this church, we will gladly offer them to heaven in your behalf. We pray that you'll come as together we stand and